Hey there, we're the West Slap Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Uh, well, today we are going to be talking about Rondell Moore <laughs> <laughs> and the rest of the Purdue Boilermakers. Um, but uh, I, I, before we dive into their defense, I mean, the, the biggest news coming out of uh, out, coming out of Purdue, obviously, besides Rondell Moore um, and Rondell Moore, is the fact that uh, Jeff Brom did not go to take the co- head coaching position at his alma mater, Louisville. I mean, they were throwing, they were backing up the Brinks truck, you know, trying to just throw as much money as humanly possible. And he's like, you know, I could coach Rondell Moore for a few more years. Why don't I do that? Um, so Brom's coming back, uh, for Purdue and, you know, it's, you know, very interesting offense. And it's because I can't wait to hear about Jeff, the offense, but Jeff, don't lose their number, Jeff. Don't, <laughs> don't lose their number. <laughs> yeah. The, the Purdue D was, uh, kind of optional last year i mean you want to talk about numbers like the number that purdue can pay him versus the number that louisville can pay him like big 10 network y'all yeah big deal fair enough fair enough hey get get that money up front jeff uh so purdue's defense really turned some heads in 2017 relative to where they were in 2016 which was whoa whoa nelly uh but they've turned some heads in 2017 And we felt that the same level of success or even a slight regression would qualify as a big win for coordinator Nick Holt's unit. Well, there was no big win for Purdue last year. Their defense sucked. This isn't really a knock on Holt, who at least has established a defense with a very clear identity in terms of what he's trying to do schematically. The problem is that it's now clear that Nick Holt got really lucky last year in terms of the talent Purdue had upon his arrival. Gallen Robinson, Danny Ezechukwu, Jawan Bentley, and Marcus Bailey gave Purdue a rock-solid group up the middle against the run. Purdue doubled down on that talent group by selling out with eight-in-the-box schemes because Holt knew he couldn't pass cover and he knew he couldn't get to the quarterback. Last year, though, Robinson, Bentley, and Ezechukwu left. Holt tried to run the exact same system back, and again, it was a system he kind of surprised the conference with the year before, and credit to him for putting that scheme out and putting all of his chips on the table. Like, good on you, Nick. Um, But last year, he tried to do the exact same thing, and now all he had was Marcus Bailey. Things did not go well. The easiest way to sum up Holt's schemes and Purdue's overall success or lack thereof is that the team had 25 sacks last year. Of those 25, 5.5 were from Bailey and another 5 were from Jacob Thieneman, a safety. So, like I said, Holt puts a lot of guys at the line of scrimmage, but almost no one in the front seven can get sacks. So, yeah, this team is a dumpster fire against the pass. Purdue gave up 285 yards a game in the air, and the net gain for all of that sacrifice was only the seventh best run defense in the conference. Heading into 2019, 
Purdue can at least count itself lucky that Bailey stayed for his senior year. Because without him, this unit would really challenge Illinois and Rutgers for worst in the conference. With Bailey, Purdue can probably expect the same results as last year, but things could still get worse. Thieneman is gone now, and defensive tackle Lorenzo Neal, who is an important glue guy in keeping this run D anywhere near 7th, Important glue guy in making sure we uh, walked away with the W in week one last year. Amen. Nothing but love for Lorenzo. Uh, And uh, he, but unfortunately for him, he's still recovering from an ACL injury. The linebackers are adding Nick Holt's son as a grad transfer from Western Kentucky. But that ought to about illustrate how the effort to replace Bentley and Eza Chukwu is going. Not great, Bob. On top of that, the secondary is turning over several players other than Thieneman, and the profile of all of these guys matches right up with the Holt mentality. Athletic hitters who can play in the box. The job description on their recruiting questionnaire did not include, quote, needs to cover wide receivers. It's almost impossible to imagine a situation where this isn't the 14th best pass defense in the conference for the second year in a row. This feels like a situation that is continuing to go south in a hurry. Everyone was shocked at how good Purdue's D was in Jeff Brom's first year, but now we understand exactly what was going on there. As Kevin Wilson showed at Indiana, a coach like Brom or Wilson is attractive, or Scott Frost, is attractive to a certain type of football player. And that player does not play on the defensive side of the ball. There is no talent waiting in the wings to help hold out here, and opposing offenses now understand his schemes better than ever. Purdue can score some points, and I hope Scuzz can paint a picture for their sake that they can score a bunch, because they're going to need every one of them. This defense is bad, and it's getting worse. Well, Scuzz, offensively, um, yeah, I, I made mention of their all-world r- true freshman last year, uh, one Rondell Moore, um, who is just absolutely exciting. But uh, David Blatt was gone. The keys are in the hands of Elijah Sindelar. Or, or are they? Oh, yeah. No, they're definitely in the hands of Elijah Sindelar. And were this the beginning of the year again, I would kind of love this matchup for NU because Purdue loses just about everybody on offense. Um, and John, it's funny because this is an, I forget which other team was like this. Maybe it was, I can't, maybe it was Michigan state, but um, there's another team we've previewed this year where they like, they bring back a lot of starters. Like I think this team brings back nine defensive starters or something. And some of their top tacklers, that's often a formula for your, your, your kind of perspective being like, <laughs> yeah, I don't feel good about them. Um, but What's so? What's ironic on the offensive side? They lose everybody. So the first couple weeks of the year, ye, um, could be rough. But by late in the year, it'll be really interesting to see where this Purdue team sits. I personally believe that this can be one of the best offenses in the West. At the same time, they could also fall apart like they did last year, and they just when they just kind of ran out of steam, um, pun intended, and uh, had some injuries and depth issues. So last year, six and six but they were third in the conference in offensive yards and points. Brome is just good at offense, period. 
Um, going into last year, I did not think that they had what it what it took to make a giant leap on offense like past teams of his have. Uh, they they only increased their offensive point production by five points per game. They only increased their total yardage by about forty points per game. Um. But what I didn't know going in there was that I didn't know about Rondell Moore. He gave this offense an X factor like they haven't had in years. And, you know, that that increase of, of only five points per game, that was stunted because they struggled mightily on the road versus good defenses. They struggled a ton uh, against Michigan State. They struggled against Minnesota really bad. Uh, they had a little bit of trouble with uh, Indiana, with... Um, Eastern Michigan was kind of weird. I think they were pretty disappointed coming out the Northwestern loss in week one, but I digress. One of the reasons I thought that they, that they wouldn't be able to turn that key uh, is that they were already a really pass heavy offense. Brome's Western Kentucky teams threw the ball like 450 times plus a year, but Purdue was already living that world before he arrived. So, you know, his system change wasn't going to be a giant change to what they were already doing. True to form, they threw it 506 times in 2018. And next year, they're going to do the exact same thing. Why do I think they can potentially be that much better on offense or, or be like really great again? So we'll, we'll start with Sindelar. Sam, you mentioned him. Elijah, Elijah Sindelar, he's back. More importantly, uh, Rondell Moore and their two big offensive tackles. This team was really bad allowing sacks on passing downs last year, especially late in the season versus Minnesota, uh, Indiana, Wisconsin. That's something that David Blau had trouble throughout his career doing was was holding the ball too long. It'll be interesting to see if Sindelar is better at that in 2019. For like reference, I don't I don't think Northwestern really ever got to him in that first half uh, that we played him in the in, in at the beginning of last year. They have a changeover at center and at both guards. That probably means they're going to be a bit blitz susceptible early in the year, especially interesting, you know, zone zone schemes where you're maybe dropping a defensive tackle or a defensive end and bringing somebody surprising. I can't say that their offensive line talent is anything special, but by, you know, October, they should at least be kind of serviceable uh, within the Big Ten season as long as they stay kind of healthy. Here's what Purdue fans should be really excited about. They have added some dynamic true freshmen to the receiver core. David Bell is a top 10 receiver recruit. <sighs> Who had a really good chance of going to Northwestern and then didn't. Yep. Um, Bell is being compared to Moore. But Ooh. as a factor on the outside, they are going to line these guys up on the same side of the field, and Moore is going to go inside, and Bell is going to go inside. And pick your poison, people. This is going to prevent teams from doing what they did in the back half of the season against Purdue last year. After that upset against Ohio State, everybody focused entirely on Moore. This next year, they're not going to be able to do that. They have to cover Bell. This is going to open things up for Sindelar. Bell picked Purdue over Ohio State at the All-America game, just like Moore. Also picking Purdue over Ohio State was a guy named Milton Wright, who's a top 35 recruit. Bama and others uh, also offered him. Uh, he presents a much larger target at uh, about you know six foot three, 200 pounds. They're building the, the diverse wide receiver core that you need to cause problems for teams. This, by the way, is a difference between Purdue's offense and Nebraska's offense. TJ Sheffield, another slot guy, decommitted from Notre Dame and picked Purdue over Stanford and Georgia. Mershawn Rice, I don't. He didn't have the offer list, but he's another th three-star receiver who's got a ton of size. So they've got multiple guys lined up for multiple different roles on this offense. 
people were calling this the greatest receiver class that Purdue has ever signed. I don't know what the comparison is, but it's it's an absurd amount of talent for a position that is so critical to the Brome offense. You can also how you can also just kind of see the wheels turning about how his commitment to staying at, at Purdue versus going to Louisville probably impacted this. I mean, guys were bailing on the Buckeyes. Milton Wright is from Louisville. Like, look out. Where they're going to struggle this year is on the ground, at least in the traditional running back sense. So they lost DJ Knox and Markel Jones. This is what we thought was going to be the face of their team last year, was these these two solid running backs who had both had pretty decent careers. Uh, everyone really likes Terrio Fuller. He's a guy that has, you know, has been considered the heir apparent uh, over, the couple, over the last few seasons, but he's always had injury difficulties. He's never really played a ton. Their backup is a walk-on. They've got a decent recruit in, in King Daru, but they just don't have a lot at the running back position. They've still got veritable freight train Ricky Warship in what should be his like eighth and final season in college. Um, you know, To add to this conundrum, David Blau ran the ball a lot last year. He gained 240 yards on the ground. He lost all almost all of that back on sacks, but as, as, as Northwestern fans will recall from the second half of our, our season opener last year, he could cause problems with his feet. I mean, he was he, by the end of his career, he learned how to be a pass-first QB and then cause secondary damage on the ground. This is not a skill that Elijah Sindelar possesses. Sindelar is much more of a statue, a statue who's also suffered a whole lot of injuries in his career. I think he's been injured each of the uh, two, two or three seasons that he's been a part of Purdue. The reality, though, they are not going to try to run the ball in the traditional manner, especially they're turning over the whole interior of their offensive line. They line Rondell Moore up all over the place. They did it last year. They're going to do it again this year. Bell and Sheffield, these two incoming freshmen, presumably they could do the exact same thing with them. I think this team is just going to be pass first all the time. I think their their pass rate or their pass percentage is going to go up even more from last season. I think Brome will have all sorts of counters lined up to cause defensive coordinators headaches. That's what he did a ton at Western Kentucky. It was pass, 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 and then he had like a crazy running play you wouldn't expect it that would go up the gut for, for 15 yards. Sindelar can certainly throw. Uh, in limited action last year, he improved his completion percentage without losing really any average distance. Now, granted, that was just against Northwestern and Eastern Michigan before he got injured for the year, so kind of take that with a grain of salt, but historically, he has been a better decision maker than David Blau was. He just can't stay, stay healthy. Um, I, that's the big question to me for Purdue. If, is this a year he can finally, you know, show his stuff? I Like, he's certainly got the skill talent around him, uh, albeit a lot of really young skill talent. But with those fast receivers, with Brome's concepts, they should be able to get the ball out really, really quickly and negate the pass rush, which is probably Sindelar's biggest weakness. I mean, if he struggles to do that, like he's going to be a sitting duck and he's going to get hit a lot. The backup situation is not great. They have a bunch of three-star QBs with virtually no experience. Um, a couple of those guys were, uh, are, are, you know, very Brome type players, guys that he'd been recruiting at Western Kentucky that he shifted gears once he moved to Purdue a couple seasons ago. But I mean, the bottom line is Sindelar and Moore stay healthy. I think this offense is especially at home and especially by the back half of the season can be phenomenal. Well, you know, as, as we talk about the, the back half of the season, let's start with their front half of their season. Um, Inter- interesting bit of scheduling they've got going on. Uh, open up the season uh, at Nevada on uh, Friday, August 30th. Then they're home for Vandy and then TCU. Then they get their bye week. They go, they, they stay at home for Minnesota. They're at Penn State. They're home for Maryland. 
at Iowa, home for Illinois and Nebraska, at Northwestern, bye week at Wisconsin, and home for Indiana. So, so last year, Northwestern was the first team to ever go winless in non-conference and then win the <laughs> division. <laughs> like that—that's on the table for Purdue I, here. They, this team, of of all the, if you if you put down the criteria, right, in a situation where no one gets hurt, right, where there are no key injuries, which team has the biggest potential swing between worst case scenario and best case scenario? I don't even think it's close. Like, Purdue's floor is ridiculously low, and their ceiling is ridiculously high. Like, there are arguments to be made for 2-10 and 10 and 10-2 10 and 2 with this team. It's, it's so wild. Their defense is going to be awful. It's going to be really bad. And it's it's so strange i think it's weird to juxtapose nebraska and purdue as a northwestern fan only because scuzz you of all people have made the excellent point many times in the past that elijah sindelar is not the kind of quarterback who terrifies northwestern and adrian martinez is everything the kind of quarterback who terrifies northwestern yep <laughs> except that purdue puts all of purdue's other pieces on offense seem to be better than all of Nebraska's other pieces. And Moore was a terror against us last year. So it's like, it's so strange. The other thing that's that's weird for Purdue is, bizarrely for them, offensively, they're kind of zigging when everyone else is zagging right now. And all of the best defenses in the conference, the vast majority of those are run-first defenses. Now, both Iowa and Penn State, who Purdue has to go on the road for both of those games, are both great against the pass. They both have guys who can really get to the quarterback and guys who can really cover. But a team like Wisconsin is not really throwing up much. And Northwestern, for as complete as our defense is, we're, it's not like pass rushing is our forte. And then they have a bunch of other defenses they play who they're just, I mean, Nebraska, they're going to eviscerate that defense through the air. I mean, Jeff Brom is just going to take that apart. And the flip side, you can be like, well, they've got Scott Frost too, but that's going to be Adrian Martinez running around and making things happen. Brom's got the pieces to scheme. I, I want to emphasize, like, Nebraska has five carbon copies of each other at wide receiver. Like, right. like, J, like J.D. Spielman, decent. Their their tight end is good, but it's, like, like, they, they do not have the diversity of players that Purdue is going to have and is going to be and, able to deploy in super creative ways. And one of the places, right, that true freshmen can get on the field and make a big impact right away is wide receivers, If especially if no one's looking at you to be the primary guy. Because Brahm's got speed that he can get in space, and none of these other guys are getting double covered because Rondell Moore is going to get triple covered. They have uh, another Rondell Moore. What the right. hell are you going to do about two Rondell Moores? It's absurd. And David Bell, and I only know because we went after him really heavy. He's an elite player, and he's fast. And But again, it's like the flip side is this truly is an awful defense. And not only is it an awful defense, it's an awful defense that everyone has figured out. It's like, uh, like Nick Holt played his cards. And you talk about a team that's really going to be playing track meet football— this is that team. And unlike Nebraska, Purdue's non-conference schedule is horrible. So, well, well, so here's what's wild, right? So the game at Nevada, 
I think really should be a win for Purdue. It's 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 tough because it's right. the first game out of the gate with with all these all this changeover and all these losses. But Nevada's not a very good very good team. But then in the Big Ten, their five most winnable games are all at home. True. It like to me, like six wins is the floor for this team. I I I, I don't. I don't imagine unless they unless Sindelar gets gets injured early and that completely neuters their offense, um this team should win six games it easy. It is really interesting, right? Because I think I mean one of the like worst kept secrets in the league right now too, not in the league but in the country, TCU's not really that good right now. And they fell off last year. And again, it's like they're still TCU, but it's like Nevada, Vanderbilt, and TCU, when you juxtapose it against Purdue's in-state rival, Indiana, who is just a big, frosty cupcake of a non-con, well, this schedule looks like a gauntlet compared to that. But on the flip side, it's like Purdue could definitely win all those games. It's really strange because there's a subcategory of teams in this conference that, you know, you could say it's like Illinois, Nebraska, Purdue... Um, Indiana, Rutgers, and maybe Minnesota that all fit into the category of if they're going to win games, they're going to have to win games by scoring a bunch of points because their defense is going to give up a ton of points. And that's something that all of those teams share in common. The difference is with the exception maybe of Maryland and maybe of Indiana, but I mean, not really. No team has a clearer identity than, than Purdue. Purdue knows exactly what they're going to do on offense. They have the pieces to do it. They're not going to be figuring it out on the fly. Like, the system is in place. Sindelar has played a bunch. He's not amazing, but he's experienced. They've got more, and then they've got all these pieces coming in. And this is like a pace and space offense, you know? So it's, to you know, to borrow the basketball term. So, yeah, it's, and again, it's like, this defense is horrible, and that's always going to going to establish a certain floor but it's like yeah i mean talk i mean a, talk about a potential roller coaster i mean this team could come out and and just give up boatloads of points something goes wrong sindelar doesn't have his act together and then things just go wrong for them but but on the flip side i mean they they truly can play track meet football because a lot of the defenses that they play they're not going to have to figure out how to attack those defenses. The weaknesses are right there. It's bruising Big Ten linebackers just being avoided by a team that wants to throw all day. So they're a fascinating team. Do you guys think that there's a chance? I mean, no one could figure out how to do it last year, but now at least people know what Rondell Moore is. It's that's that's why a guy like David Bell is so important because yeah. I I if they I totally agree Sam he's that's where every team's going to start and unlike Nebraska Rondell Moore doesn't play quarterback and can't have the ball in his hands on every single play and I do think teams will get better at that but that's where these freshmen I, Brahms got tools on this team now so here's the interesting thing about Moore because he was he was such a revelation in the opening game against us right he carried the ball eleven times for for 110 yards. He had he had um, I'm sorry he, he caught the ball eleven times for 109 yards and then he had he had only two carries where he ripped off 80. One of those was a 76 yarder, right? Um, the next week against Eastern Michigan, he only touched the ball five times and they lost that game. 
That was not good. Um, as the season went on, you know, 11 the following week against Missouri, 8 against BC, 8 against Nebraska, only 4 against Illinois. They, they destroyed the Illini. They won 46-7, so they, they kind of put them on the shelf there. Had 14 touches, including rushes against Ohio State. Averaged 14 per catch and 12 on the ground. Um, but then that, that, that period that I talked about where um, they're on the road a little bit, so Michigan State kind of held him in check. It was, it was one of his lower uh, average yardage games um, catching the ball. Iowa did the same thing. Minnesota um, a little bit, but like he just he wasn't getting used quite as much, and I think he was just covered up a lot. I think teams were just targeting him, um, doubling him, bracketing him, making sure that Purdue's, that David Blau was looking elsewhere on the field. And that's why the David Bell edition is, is so critical because it, it unlocks that for, for Purdue um, in a way that, that was not possible last year. And like Sam, I think you're right. I think coming into the season, everyone is going to, is going to start where they ended last year of, locking in on more and making sure he doesn't do what he did to Ohio state and to us and, and to Missouri, you know, early on in the season. But I think I, I, and, and if it were me, right, like I would, I would do that as well. Like more is the proven guy. Let's take him off the board and see what they can do. But I think very quickly it's going to become problematic because let's face it. Jeff Brom is a really smart coach and he knows that that's what teams are going to do. He's going to be planning for that. I like it's, it's, it's what everyone would, would expect to happen. And, um, it'll, it'll be a fascinating check chess match. I just, I, I go back. We've talked about this a lot on our podcast, but, um, the opening game to the 20, what, 17 season where Northwestern lost to Western Michigan, um, on a, on a, you know, a fumble out of bounds or whatever at the goal line uh, in the waiting minutes. But the chess match in that game between Corey Davis, the wide receiver on Western Michigan and Matt Harris, our defensive back, uh, the way, you know, Northwestern went against everything they had ever done in terms of defensive scheme by matching up a single corner against a single receiver. And just the way that Western Michigan was moving him around on the field. Purdue's offense is going to be a, a thing of fascination to watch this year because of how good Brome is and, and just the different things that he's going to try and explore. And, and, and you saw what, what happened against Ohio State last year. I mean, they, they, they put 49 points up on the Buckeyes, the number two Buckeyes last year, when nobody thought that that was even remotely possible. And they scored 40 in one, two, three, four other games um, and came close uh, a, 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 a two other times with, with 37 and 38. I mean, this offense was spectacular last season. And uh, I, like... It, it, it's just going to be so exciting to watch them. I think so. I have two things. One that are, they both go against each other. One, another reason this team ought to terrify you is because they, they have a system that is in profile similar to what Duke wants to do, but now their talent level is similar to a couple of the Duke teams that we have played in years past on offense. The difference is, uh, especially tonight when he was absolutely dealing for the Giants, that Eliza Sindelar <laughs> is not Daniel Jones, not future NFL Hall of Famer Daniel Jones. Um, future? I mean, they're already waiving the five-year but, uh, rule for him. But he is, right. But he is, Sindelar, though, is a cannon-armed guy. And they're going to try to get the ball out quick to these guys in space. And T. 
teams like that have not been fun for us to play in the fat in the past. And it's not exactly playing into the strength of our defense. Um, we're much more built to handle a team like a Wisconsin um, that wants to start with things on the ground and Purdue is not even going to attempt to do that. So that's the terrifying part of that. The flip side is, and I mean, this is crazy and it's ridiculous, but it's true. We've, We've previewed by this point most of the teams in the Big Ten. We only have a couple to go and one very notable one. But of all the teams we've previewed so far, Rutgers and Purdue are the only two teams who legitimately could lose to every single one of the 12 teams on their schedule. Purdue could lose to any of the 12 teams that they play. And yes, that includes Illinois. Because I, hmm. the, I mean, because the situation is like, oh, how'd Purdue lose the game? Well, it was like 50 to 45 and they lost. Oh, all right. And I mean, it would be one thing like Illinois would be the closest for sure with a bullet. But even Illinois, you'd be like, well, how'd Illinois win that game? Well, it was like 50 to 40 and there were like some crazy turnovers and they pulled it out. And it's like, oh, OK. Again, Rutgers plays UMass and Liberty. And Purdue does not play UMass and Liberty. Purdue's non-con is, is, and that's the difference, right? Nevada is the easiest game in their non-con, but that's on the road to open the season. So it's like a weird game, and it's at night. Um, it's so. I mean, it's, they had a, they had a night game to open up the season last year. So I mean, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So hey, not exactly their good luck charm. The but I mean again. Could Purdue beat every team on their schedule? Probably. They don't have Ohio State and Michigan on here. They have several teams, chiefly Penn State and Iowa, who are very well equipped to deal with them defensively. Now, I'm not saying Purdue's like it's those are going to be fascinating games to watch. That's, you know, that's a lot of talent going up against a lot of talent in both of those games. Um, in terms of like, like Iowa can cover passers and get to the quarterback. And that's exactly what Penn State does. Penn State does it probably the best of anyone in the conference. And then there's us. We have a really good defense too. Um, but again, Purdue can attack us in ways that historically we haven't been particularly great at. And then Wisconsin, again, it's like, I mean, I frankly, this is one of those games where it's like, Purdue could very well tear a hole in Wisconsin and everyone will be kind of shocked when they do it. So there's the flip side. I mean, like Purdue has a couple teams that are going to be a difficult mountain for them to get over. And that probably limits their ceiling. Um, But their ceiling is still high. And it's just weird because it's like, do I think they'll lose all 12 of these games? Of course not. This team's way better than that offensively. But the range is is just so crazy. I'll be curious to see, like Scuzz, Given all of that, where do you think they end up here? All that firepower. I'm, I, I'm bullish on them on them improving on last year. Um, I'm bullish on them getting a little bit better on defense. I I, I don't think they're gonna. I don't like they lost ten points per game and, and eighty yards per game last year. I like. Some of that is that they played Ohio State and Missouri and Michigan State. I like, I think they get a little bit better on defense. I like them for eight. I think. I, wow! Like, really? Yeah. I. 
I'm buying Nevada. I'm buying Vanderbilt as wins. I'm buying their five home Big Ten games as wins, and then one other. You know, maybe they get Iowa. Maybe they get Wisconsin on the road. Maybe they get us. Um, I, I like Purdue for eight with like this is what makes me just numb with rage is when I open my Phil Steele magazine and I, I have know to page ex- past I know Nebraska. Exactly, I knew exactly what you were Iowa, say. Wisconsin, and the Minnesota Golden Gophers before I get to Northwestern. But what's even more shocking to me is Purdue's on the next page. I like I would take Purdue as a dark horse Big Ten West contender over most of those other teams. Like Iowa, I think John you convinced me is is maybe in, in a bit better shape, but like Minnesota versus Purdue, it's no goddamn contest to me. So I like with with that in mind, I like them for eight. And if if anyone other than Northwestern is winning this is winning this division this year, I like I like it to be Purdue. I really do. I'm gonna go seven. That is based on no kind of science whatsoever. It's just me trying to find some sort of logic in all of this madness. Again, Purdue is a really bad defensive team. And again, we keep bringing up Nebraska because the really bad defense, really dangerous offense parallels are there. Um, And part of me is like, but Purdue has all of these different pieces. And again, it's like Sindelar is is not exciting or explosive. But he is experienced in the offense, and he is going to have a lot of tools to deal it around to. But, I mean, it's like, again, I keep coming back to, like, there are so many potential losses individually for them. And I'm just like, I, I'm i just going to kind of cut bait here and say seven. Don't ask me where those seven are going to come from. They could beat any team on their schedule, except maybe Penn State. And I'll probably eat those words in some sort of crazy shootout in Happy Valley. I'm going to say seven. This team's going to be winning and losing all kinds of crazy, but they're going to be fun to watch. Well, uh, let's go ahead and leave Purdue there for tonight. Um, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates. You can always email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe and Eric Scasboy and Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.